as a father of two daughters. I don't want to overshare. They, yeah. But you're often looking for opportunities to really express love to them. And what I mean is to have a moment with them and you can actually really engage their hearts and say, I really appreciate you and love you. They don't come very often. And you also don't want to have those weird moments where you say something and it just sort of bounces off them. Uh, and I think the Lord's not the same as us, but I, I, I do think that, that God looks for opportunities to really know, uh, for us to really know how He feels about us and just who He is. And uh, I don't think it's easy for Him, and I mean that in a way not to dishonor His, omnipotent, uh, his, his power, His... his uh, ability to do anything he wants to do, it's, it's breaking through into our hearts. And he did mention uh, those who've struggled with poor fathering. But I think it's even those that have received good fathering is to, is to actually be aware of the smile of God and to live in the kindness of God and to actually receive God's love into their lives that's quite big. Now, it sounds like 101 Christianity. Let me tell you what, that's quite something. Just to have the love of God, to rest in God's love, to rest in who He is. And uh, I find that, that uh, there's a song that I don't agree with where you'll never let me down. You know that song? I don't agree with that. I'll tell you why. Because God deliberately will take us into places sometimes which isn't our will and our desire. But he never lets his own character down. And he's always true to the, the beauty and the glory of his word. And he's always looking out for your good. But what you consider to be your good and what God considers your, to be your good can be different. And so, therefore, when I say that God in all of his nature is good, I mean in that light. And in that spirit, and we learn to even rest in God's goodness, that God's goodness sometimes will lead us where we don't want to go, or, or allow things to happen to us that we don't agree with, but to really rest, rest in His goodness and His love. I hope I'm not blurring it for you by saying that, but I find to throw myself at the mercies of God and the love of God is a great comforting thing. So I'm hoping even what I share tonight would be yeah, in the spirit of that, in the light of that. Are you ready for some word? Open your Bibles. I'm going to speak about killing the Pharisee that lives in you <laughs> and me. Killing the Pharisee. Jesus said in Mark 8, and I, I know you haven't got the scripture, but uh, it's in the Bible, and I'll go to where I shared with you early on. But Jesus said, watch out, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisee and of Herod. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. This is in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 15. That this part's a little bit unprepared. It dropped into my spirit, and I'll then bring the message later. But that, out of interest and out of context, Herod was like the, 
Donald Trump of America when it comes to building. He was big, he was loud, he was uh, uh, a very central figure to the history of that time. And, and the scripture does speak about him, but he said, watch out for Herod. There's a heast in Herod that uh, uh, you must be, must be careful of. And I think it's probably the, the glamour of life, the greatness of life, the, the wonder of life that Herod was living. But he also said this, watch out for the heast of the Pharisees. I'm, I'm going to ask you to help me. What do you think the Pharisees were like? You can just call it out. Anyone who wants to take a chance. What did the Pharisees love that God didn't love? Anyone? Sorry? Yeah, religion. Okay. It's interesting because you would think that we also into religion. In some ways we are. But the religion that they were into, he didn't like. What, what, what are some of the, the, the ways of the Pharisees that God sort of hated? They were self-righteous. That's a good one. And no one's going to be wrong, okay? If you're really wrong, I might do like a very undercover correction. But no one's going to be wrong, so go for it. They were? Pride? How did they show their pride? What does the Scripture say about them? Aha. Uh -huh. So they did things to be seen. We don't do that, eh? So they did things to be seen. What else? They, they liked to be spiritual. They were spiritual. They were very devoted. Eh? This is a problem because they were probably more devoted than me and you. Mm. Quite devoted to the things of God. So they often wore uh, long scriptures that could be seen on, their, on the edge of the coats. Often would have something on their heads. What else do you know about the Pharisees that God didn't like? But they're praying. What did they do when they prayed? Anyone? Sorry? They prayed loudly. Okay, what else? Long prayers. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. And they used many words. They used many words that often weren't lined up with their hearts. Okay? Anything else about the Pharisees that... Ah, they didn't always practice what they preached. And they often would put heavy burdens on other people like they were carrying, but those people couldn't carry them. Yilika mensen, eh? Let me tell you about the Pharisee that lived in me and still lives in me. So I remember... Uh, it's interesting, uh, <laughs> Madeline asked me, Dad, what are you preaching on tonight? I said, the Pharisee. And then she gave me that look. Like she gave me like a look like this, Dad. Like <laughs> what she was saying is, there's still a little bit of Pharisee in you. Are you sure you want to preach on that? Um, but I remember I was confirmed in a certain well-known religious uh, big denominational church. And I considered them to be religious. Interesting. So in my mind, I had a very clear understanding of what religious was and what the Pharisees looked like. But I couldn't see how much form and how much religion was inside of me. And I think what I did was, because I clapped my hands and because I was zealous, I assumed that I was the real and they were the facade. It's interesting how we do that. And uh, let me just warn all of you, including myself, 
we all tend to see ourselves in a better light than we actually are. Okay, just write that down, maybe think about it a little bit longer. We all tend to, most of us, not all of us, but we tend to see ourselves as better than we actually are, especially in the light of this. And if you of that select group that doesn't see yourself that way, you go the right the other spectrum where you're just the worst. There's a few that do that, but most of us see ourselves as actually better than we are. Um, I know I'm wasting a bit of time now, and I'm going off the subject, but it's like, you know, when I, I, um, it's one of my small sins. I generally, I generally slow down. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, eh? but let me just be honest with you guys. When it comes to a stop street, I do stop, okay, but not all the time. And uh, when someone in church sees me going through a four-way stop slowly, <laughs> you know what my immediate uh, thought is? I'm hoping they, see, they saw my intention to slow down. And I, 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 I'm, they, they all were aware that I was very aware of everyone else. And actually the real issue is, was it a safe crossing? And so I want people to judge me by my intention, not by what I did. Isn't it amazing how we like that? Are you like that at all? Is it only me? <laughs> only me. And then when we see someone else cross that stop street, that four-way stop, they've just preached the message. Now they're going through the stop street. And you think to yourself, who, who's this who do they think they are? Isn't it amazing how we have these different standards? Eh? Is, that, is that just me or is it you as well? Okay, it's just me. <laughs> um, I don't know how that fits in, but it, it sort of felt good. So, <clears throat> so going, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 18. So if you want to go there and let's look at this word together. Killing the Pharisee. Mm. Not an easy job. Especially if you don't think you have one. Ha, <laughs> ha, Really, you have to actually see you know, the potential of where you are. So let's read the word together. Father, we want to just look up to you. And would there be life on this as we look at the living word of God? Amen. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees hmm, were fasting. And then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. That's a very good question. And Jesus said to them, Well, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wines burst the wineskins and the wine is spilled. And the wineskins are ruined, but the new wine must be put into new wineskins. Simply put, he's saying the reason they fast is because what they are seeking is 
not present. It's not it's far away. But I'm the very one, the very one that everything that they are pointing and looking towards, I'm that one who's here, and why would they need to fast? I'm here. So what he's saying is the very thing, the very reason, the very purpose is I'm in front of you. That sounds common logic, but look at the next thing we're going to read and keep that lens on. So watch, look what happens here. I don't know how clear that was, but I'm not going to try and over-explain it. Um, <clears throat> so now he's, he's carrying on, and uh, it's interesting. The Pharisees um, say this. Let me just read verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, which is a big deal for the Pharisees. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And if you go to chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And they watched him closely to see what he would do on the Sabbath. It's interesting. So now, so what the Pharisees are doing is they're watching him very carefully to see how he's going to behave on the Sabbath and what he's going to do. They're they, they, they into obeying the Word of God. They, they're zealous to do everything God requires. And this is how he responds to them. He says, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and, and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abethia, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And then he said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying is, I'm right in front of you. The very purpose of the Sabbath, I'm here. The reason why there's a Sabbath is me. They couldn't see it. The very, the very reason why they were disciplining themselves, why they are honoring the law, obeying all the Scriptures, was standing in front of them. They couldn't see it. That's a problem. They majored on minors. They, they fixated on things that God was not after. Hold that thought. Well, why did God actually create the Sabbath? I haven't heard much teaching on this. But he did create the Sabbath. And we see in Genesis, I'm not going to go there and read it to you in detail, but, but he created the Sabbath uh, as part of the order that he wanted to set uh, in his ways and how he wanted to relate to man. And it's what's interesting is when he made man, the first thing that man did was enter into the Sabbath. It's like the first thing that man did was be in the Sabbath. And what... I, I, I don't know if I'm hitting the nail here on the head, but my guess is it was that man would be in right relationship with God and connect with God and worship God and out of that do His work. That's my guess. There was a purpose for the Sabbath. And um, I know that Colossians says we don't need to honor the Sabbath like the Jews used to honor the Sabbath. And so there is a clarity that in the New Testament we don't uh, have a very strong 
rule about obeying the Sabbath. But I do think there's a principle that we often miss in life. That it's a principle, and, and some people call it the, the first mention principle, where God puts something in place that's actually meant to influence our lives. And I know that the, the communists try to do away with, with, with the, the, the one day of rest in seven and really hurt them. There's something very, very good about a day of rest. And it's very healthy for us to have a day where we, and I don't want to make this a law, but I'm just trying to honor, I think, that something that God wanted, where we are looking to God and worshiping Him. Another confession. I think mostly I've done what I like to do on my day of rest, and it's a day of just doing nothing. But actually it's meant to be a day where you're able to come near to God, even though we are near to Him, and to celebrate Him in a different way to the other six days. But it's not a law. And it's not a regulation. This is something good about that. And I think uh, without laboring this point, we're living in a society that's so fast and so quick that if you don't learn to have one day that you rest and you do things that are different to the other six days, I don't think you can live in all that God wants for you. And I mean that in the, in the most careful way possible. There's just something about honoring that without it being a law. Is that okay? So I think there was an order in God. There was a, a, a way of God. And so my question is, how should the Pharisees respond to Jesus? If this is all true. Well, I think, I think if they understood the reason for the Sabbath, they would have stopped everything Listened to him and followed him. That's what I've done. And so the, 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 the activity wouldn't have been the goal. The person would have been the goal. And they'd have recognized him and said, okay, you are the reason we've been having a Sabbath. We follow you. We worship you, God. And they would have shifted gears. Sounds very simple. But it's amazing how we get that wrong in our lives all the time. I'll give you an example. Uh, many of you have heard that I'm in, uh, in the car rental industry. I won't mention the name. And uh, one of the things we've learned over the last few years is, is really you can't manage something unless you really measure it rightly. And to measure things rightly, we often have activities that can be measured. And so if we have a goal... If we have a goal, we put activities alongside that goal that we can measure, and in some ways we actually are focusing the attention to get the result. Okay? So, I'll give you an example. We want to, people who are inquiring for cars, we want to attract those people as a goal, but we also want the process of them coming to us to be a relational process and a reliable process. So we want a good person experience. We want you to come and actually have a pleasant experience in hiring a car. And we also want to make sure that we find you before Avis does. So that's our goal. And we put these activities in place that we can measure to help the staff reach the goal. But you know what happens? It doesn't take long and the goal gets lost, and the activities become the focus. 
It's amazing. So because we're measuring the activities, and the activities become the thing, suddenly it's all about ticking the right boxes, doing what's required, but we sort of the real purpose and the why gets lost in what we do. It's interesting. And it's very easy as me as a business owner to point my finger at the staff and say, they're getting it wrong. But you know how we contribute to the problem? We measure the wrong things. And so I've discovered that what we measure really begins to influence people and influence how they behave. Do you know that in the church sometimes we measure the wrong things? And guess what? There's lots of activities in the church, aren't there? And it's very easy. So get, get what I'm saying. It's very easy for the activities to become the focus and not the why of the activities. And the more the real and the authentic gets lost in what we do, like what we're doing here now, we're vulnerable to become Pharisees. And we're vulnerable to become religious. And we're vulnerable to all of us serving and all of our devotion and all of what the sum of who we are doesn't result in what God wants. Now, I don't want to discourage you, <laughs> but it's possible. Like, can someone come here and find God? That's an interesting question, because that's where we're here. Sometimes not. Can someone who wants to find other people who love God and become part of a community, can they find that? Or is it just activities? Or do we say to them, hang on, this is what we're doing, join the activity. And so activities can be a great stumbling block to the real unless we keep on reassessing our hearts and keep on adjusting and asking the questions of why and what, what, what am I doing? And we'll find that that real honest weighing up of why I go to community, even coming to church on a Sunday, why I pray, who am I praying to, really allowing our hearts and our minds and looking for the real is a very, very, very important thing for us to keep on keeping on with. If you like me, Ticking the boxes is quite easy. So it's possible to come to church and you've done what's required. So I didn't want to preach this. I actually changed this message at about 7.30 this morning. I had a, actually a decent message. I'm going to preach it next week, so I'm not going to tell you a decent message than this throw it away. Uh, better than this one. Um, <clears throat> but I just felt, man, this thing seems to be ringing. Uh, and I, was, I couldn't get out of my mind what that guy preached to us last week is why would he bring, now we can't build the whole church in this, but why would he bring that scripture, wait on the Lord? Can you put it up? Isaiah 40. Wait on the Lord. Why would he bring that to us? What's, his in, what's, what's, the, what's the Lord after? So if our goal is to contend for the real, I'm getting there now, have authentic relationships, 
actually meet with God, become like Him by Him. If our real goal is to become like Him by Him, to, have, to, to walk in the light with each other, to be a community, if that's our real goal, then we have to keep on adjusting to find that. And I think one of the things that God's up to is He wants to free us from activities that don't result in life. This is dangerous, huh? This is very dangerous. Because the problem with being Christians in Western society is we quite like this. Because we can go, I start church at this time, I end at this time. I know what they want from me. And I fit it into my life. And then I carry on. It's a problem. And we're able to navigate life especially Christian life, without giving our hearts fully, or we start with our hearts, and we just get into mode, and we get into what we do. And God wants our hearts. God wants our minds. God wants truth in us. So let's read the Scripture together. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. I think when you do activities and you've lost sight of the why, you lose your strength. I think when, you, when you're in church and it's a blur and all you can see is, this is what I do, you're losing strength as we talk. God wants you to see why. And I think the waiting and the renewing of the strength is not passivity or doing nothing so that you've got strength. I think perspective comes when we wait upon the Lord, when we pray. It says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Why? I wonder why he says eagles. I think eagles have got perspective that's higher than those on the ground. Eagles see. And then he says, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Perspective from God will educate you when it's time to run and when it's time to walk. I say it carefully. But in the church, we're vulnerable to wanting people to run all the time. It's not truth. It's not reality. You can't run all the time. You run, you walk. You run, you walk. One of my passions is, is that God is not to be found only in the activities of the church. God is in all of our lives. So we need to be discipled in all of our lives. All of who we are. And if we limit God to only the activities of the church, we are at great danger to become great Pharisees. All of who we are is meant to be somehow influenced by who He is. Perspective. We need to be Monday morning Christians. And we need to be Sunday morning Christians and Sunday evening Christians. But, but to have the Lord influencing us, to have Him give us perspective, to find the real in what we're doing. Over and over again. 
we did a marriage, um, call it an enrichment time. So Lorna really is, her passion is seeing couples find each other. And uh, what we've discovered and what she's discovered, and actually what many, many very bright people that have invested their whole lives to understand relationships have discovered uh, ongoingly is that just the cognitive and just knowing the nuts and bolts of marriage doesn't always make marriage work, but it's the skill of learning how to connect and how to be connected to each other. Yeah, it's possible in marriage to go through the activities of marriage and actually not have connection. And so if the church and her relationship with Christ is reflected by marriage, then we learn that. So in some ways, we're not just helping marriages. It's actually, it's actually the pursuit of God in connection with the church. So let me bring it for a landing. Activity is necessary, but it's how we respond to that. So what I mean by that is, it's good for you to meet with other Christians. It's very good. It's good for you to come to church. Very good for you to worship with others. But why are you doing it? Finding the real in that is very important to the Lord. Very important. And being honest about that disconnection where we just do it to look good. Could you, could you be more honest with the Lord and with others? I wonder, maybe I'm digging a hole for myself here, but if no one could see ever what money you give to the Lord, how much would that change what you give? If no one ever knew if you're here or not here, would it change? Now, I'm going extreme to try and just ask you a question. The other side of the coin is we actually need each other to come here, but it's the motivation for coming again. So if it's just guilt, we're not helping each other. So can you see this is actually a very radical middle line. It's not, it's not uh, uh, bending over to where it's all about the activity and why weren't you doing this and you should be doing that and this is what it looks like to be a Christian and we push people right into the extreme. The other extreme is, well, you know what? We are the church and uh, you can do actually what you want. You just need to follow the Spirit of the Lord. And you've got the other extreme of that. There's the radical middle of contending for the real, of needing your brothers and sisters, being true with God, and pursuing and wanting a real, real walk with God. So I'm going to encourage you with this. It's the end of the year. We're not going to shake mountains and make big changes and change the world between now and December. I want to encourage you. Would you take the word that came to us, waiting upon the Lord, take it seriously. What would it look like for you to have your strength renewed in December? So there's a part of me that goes, if I can surf as much as I can, <laughs> do whatever I want, throw my phone in the ocean, and not, this is me, and not look at my laptop, I'm going to be good. That's like utopia for me. That's like, so I've arrived in heaven. 
But what I've discovered is you can give me everything I want. And I've had like a month off. And I'm going like, mm, it feels better. But this doesn't, it's just, there's not life in this. And I want to say that what's going to be required of you to see differently and to have different perspective and to make sense of everything we're doing and why we do it, you would need to, in the Lord, soar on the wings of an eagle. And eagles don't flutter like crows. They have eyes to see the wind of the Spirit, and they learn to work with God, with the wind of His Spirit. So I was to, let's stand together. It's a little bit of a risky message. Um, but I'm too old just to keep on bulldusting. Uh, I need to be honest. Um, <clears throat> And I want you to do well. I want you to be able to find your way. And I want us to do well next year. I know that we've got plans as a congregation, and I'm quite sure you're going to go, wow, this looks good. This is good. But even that could be a great danger for us. Why? Because we've got something to do, and, uh, uh, and God's on the move. But actually, it's quite dangerous to even be on the move. And you haven't really been influenced by the Lord Himself. And you, you, aren't, you haven't got His perspective, even as a, as a congregation, as a leadership, as a people, His perspective and what He values. And so even for myself, what I need most the next six weeks is to be lifted by the Lord. And I find if I completely waste my energy, I'm completely slaughtered come December, I find I can't, I haven't got the energy to wait upon God. All I want to do is either watch some good movie, and I've got enough to go and surf. That's it. So when I'm wasted, I can't wait. Because there is an intentionality on waiting on God. There's something of a, there's something of a strength that's required, yet you are strengthened. But to wake up in the morning... And you actually have desire for God's Word. And you actually have desire for truth and for light. is a very beautiful, powerful reality. And I'm going to ask it for you, for myself. And even next week will be, I think, more with a leaning of, not speaking about waiting upon the Lord, but how do we prepare the church to be permeated by the Lord where the real and the truth and substance and authenticity is what you're going to find in us if you cut us open. Let's, let's pray. So, Lord, we love you. And we love you, Father, because you've loved us. And, Lord, I ask for understanding in our hearts that the radical middle, the the line of the Spirit, Lord, where we continue to follow you the way we know how to follow you, results, Lord, in life. And Lord, I ask for a grace for this people and for myself to wait well upon you. Lord, I ask that there be a refreshing 
Lord, more than not working, but a refreshing of our spirits. Lord, I ask for a fullness that will come because of who you are. So let's take one minute before we close. I find sometimes taking a walk with God where I really know I need to pray, but there's nothing in me that wants to pray. <laughs> I say, Lord, I, I know I need to pray, but can I go for a walk with you? Sometimes Jesus had to go to the mountain to do what we're talking about. And you'd find him on top of the mountain. Other times he loved the sea. And he would, he would go out into the open sea. Where does God love to find you? What would you like to ask the Lord for your time of rest in December? If you are going to even be able to have a time of rest. Some of you might have to work through. But what would you like to ask the Lord right now for yourself for the next couple of weeks when it comes to your relationship with Him? Just a bit longer. I know you guys are, it's not easy to hold. Now another question. Is there something that the Lord would like in your relationship with you? Ask Him. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint.